Now that they've joined the Scions proper, our dynamic duo is sent on their first mission, an investigation into the disappearances and disruption out in the desert. The Amalgi are here in force, and the threat of their god looms heavy over the land like the scorching summer sun. I'm Nero. And I'm Jane. And this is Radio Free Heidelin. Yes, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we took a brief week off, but, uh, but we're back on track, and we're here with the Ifrit quests. Yes, so our our first proper job as members of Sci- of the Scions of the Seventh Dawn is to investigate some kidnappings that were happening around Camp Drybone, um, accompanied by the lovable rogue Thancred. Yes, and not just kidnappings, murders. In fact, yes. our, our very first uh, lead on this investigation is a group of Naldthal pilgrims who were going to a nearby graveyard to go uh, presumably pay respects to the dead, who were all brutally killed, and nobody knows who uh, who did it. So the guy is like... How about you go figure out what happened and also maybe bring their bodies back so we can actually bury them this time. Before we we get started on the actual plot threads here, I want to talk a little bit about Camp Drybone itself because this is the area we're going to be spending most of our episode in here. And I think it is a pretty interesting one as far as these, these ARR zones go. So Camp Drybone... First of all, I think one of the one of the things that really sets it apart just geographically is that it is this gigantic hole in the ground, literally. It is a huge hole in the ground with these like networks of bridges stretching across it. Yes. It's it's honestly one of the cooler uh field settings, at least in, in ARR proper. It's uh it's built very strangely. It's a little difficult to navigate, honestly, yeah. because there are a bunch of, like, small rooms that are kind of tucked off to the side that, you know, all basically every door in Camp Drybone leads into, like, a series of rooms. So if you're looking for a quest and can't find a guy, it's probably in one of those. There's a lot of inns. There's a lot of winding roads that double back on themselves a few times to go certain places. Um... I believe this is Eastern Thanlan is the, the field area that Camp Drybone is the eighth right for. Um, Camp Drybone is also near a settlement called the Golden Bazaar that will become important here later on shortly. Which, as far as I can tell, is just like a merchant town. We don't. I, I didn't really poke around much there. Um, it seems pretty small. Yeah, there's a similar location in Western Thanlan that I think is called the Silver Bazaar. Um, and they're basically the same. They're just uh, little tiny towns uh, that seem to be largely mercantile and have, like, a population of, like, 30. Yeah. And one of, one of the big things, something that will uh, become very crucial to figuring out what is going on here is that Camp Drybone is probably the most 
like impoverished area we've seen so far i would say um a lot of people there are very hard on their luck and looking for work uh and there are a few merchants here and there such as one unfortunately familiar face um but like a lot of people are just there because there's nowhere else to go yeah, but this that's sort of the deal with uh with Thanalan in general. Most of these settlements have some amount of like periphery of like extreme class divide. Um in fact, uh Camp Drybone is is one of the one of the medium settlements there. There uh Olda's got some very disparate uh living situations we'll just we'll, we'll put it that way so the the man who sends you on all these quests is called isambard who is sort of the de facto leader i don't think he's like an officially elected guy or anything he's just the dude that knows everybody and everyone knows him yeah um and so he is the one who's kind of sending you on this stuff and yeah the uh the church in question this little abbey up the road is the church of saint adama landama presumably a a lalafell fellow um run by yeah the the order of naldthal who are who is the like they're the twin gods that are the sort of patron deities of olda um they olda has a lot of scale symbology of of ones of of perfect balance of like one side uh the 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 jewel of wealth and the other side the fires of magic uh symbolizing the sort of uh life and death that naldthal uh reign over yes and fun fact uh naldthal was originally one god however uh during development it was uh decided to uh, split them into two individual gods who sort of are like brothers. Um, and this is because uh, our good friend Michael Christopher Koji Fox thought it would be really, really funny as a joke to have uh, one of the sayings in, in Old Ah be uh, Thal's Balls. I mean... It is pretty funny. It is pretty funny, to be fair. But it's also hilarious to, like change the lore of like your game's cosmology so you can make a balls joke yeah and he kind of accidentally doing that accidentally created one of the coolest members of the pantheon of the 12 oh yeah but we'll we'll get into that much later Nalthal yeah big shout some... out to uh to uh the uh glaia alliance raids there's some shit going on with Nalthal, and you that you can also sort of get from the uh, the Black Mage quest lines. Yeah. So yeah, so you, you go to collect now. Okay, you go to collect these corpses, and they are put in your inventory. Um, this is not the f- this is the first time you are going to be picking up corpses. It is not the last time, I will say. Um, no, it does happen several times. I, I, I do like that they're the icon that they are represented with is like a flower. Yeah, it's like um, a, a white lily, which I think is nice. <laughs> Instead of like a skull or like a bloody hand or whatever. Yeah. And um, 
yeah, you kind of bring them up for a proper burial here. Uh, Though not without a fight, uh, the Amalja are still kind of hanging around. Presumably the ones that killed these people, but who could say? Yeah. So then, after you collect these bodies, you bring them to town for, like, preparation. And Isambard tells you to, you know, maybe start asking around town. Maybe someone knows something about this. Um, starting with a a rough sort of character named Ungust. Um, yeah. And if you may think, wow, that is a gross sounding name. Well, good news. He is a gross guy. This is the uh, merchant from Olda who you intervened on behalf of that lady against and beat the shit out of his goons. Yeah, his this... Na- his fucking name is Ungust. Yeah, fucking Ungust over here. So this fuckwit is back, unfortunately. Um, Which is what I say when I see him. I go, Ungust. Literally. Uh, so he's back, and he's basically like, yeah, you know, everybody around here is basically piss scared uh i don't think any of these guys would be involved in disappearance but you can go ask around if you want uh so you do ask around and indeed they are all too piss scared to do anything yeah everyone like tells you to leave them alone and walks away pretty much yeah or like please don't hurt me i'm scared and runs off so ungust the brain genius that he is has his own theory um which is that i don't know maybe they just left for somewhere better because this place fucking sucks thank you yeah good good. very helpful yeah very very helpful sir thank you very much anyway leaving the room uh so this then says okay well maybe the townsfolk aren't gonna be willing to to give you anything but may but Perhaps they're the the one people the, the people they would go to with these concerns and problems the what the people they would trust are the clergy. So this is when he gives you the prepared body for uh, to give a proper burial up at the church. There, he instructs you to find um, what the f- the 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 the, uh, the name they have for this guy's job is. Is he like the lich keeper? Yes, he's. I believe they call him the lich keeper, and his name is Marquez. Yes. So you you walk up to this church and you find Marques, who is like he's this kind of old man in a robe. He's got he's got a sort of odd way about him. Um seems he he's, it seems like he's got stuff going on. Yeah, he seems he seems that. vaguely confused, not 100% there, kind of kind of yeah. spacey. Uh, yeah. And you know, you ask him about what's going on and he's like, "Yeah, I, I don't really know. I'm just I'm just the guy who buries people. Um, if you want to ask somebody who might know, you can ask my boss. Sister Orson, um, who is the kind of uh, the, the priestess of Nalmthal who interacts most with the townsfolk. So uh, you, you go and talk to her um, and she, she just kind of tells you what they're about a little bit. And, and then also says like, <laughs> He, she also says, like, hey, did, was Mar- did, it, would, did Marquez say anything weird? He says some weird things sometimes. I gotta talk to him about that. Some dude named Thancred 
stopped by earlier at some point, and he seemed kind of put off by by Marquez. I don't know what's going on over there. Yeah, it's it's kind of hilarious. She's basically just like, yeah, I don't know anything about these disappearances, but please, I my apologies if that guy was weird to you. <laughs> so, um, you head back to Isambard, and Thancred has indeed arrived to uh, to kind of help you out in this investigation and he has a theory a working theory after all this he says well what is, who is the one person uh, that people would go to in, in atomic in atomic best to, to, to tell their troubles who who is a person who would have their trust uh, someone of the cloth and so he suspects that perhaps sister orson has something to do with this yeah which does make sense, right? Like if you're if if a bunch of people are going to confessional, you know that would be if they if they're doing that to you, it's probably pretty easy to get a bunch of information that way to use for your ill-begotten deeds. Um, so he's like, okay, well we got she she's she hangs out with like some of these street urchin children sometimes and helps them out, and they're up in the Golden Bazaar. So why don't you go? and see if you can get any information out of these kids so you head up there and immediately some kid named named aurelius by the way um goes oh hey this hell sister orson went off to find something of mine on her own i'm I, i'm afraid she's gonna get hurt and uh, she is and- she's getting ganked by zombies so you have to go kill some zombies Apparently, eastern thandalin has a zombie problem it does um, there's a whole invisible city about it so, but yeah, you find her, and the, I love this because so so Thancred is like you know obviously this lady's fucking suspicious. We need to figure out if she's up to something. And when you find her, she's like, oh thank goodness you arrived. I was just saving this 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 ring that is Aurelius's only keepsake from his his mother. He was orphaned, you see, and she died when he was very young. And uh, Isambard and Thancred are basically like, well. That's downright saintly. I don't think she's the one doing this. Yeah, I think we're just sweating bullets like, mm, well, I may have fucked up a little bit on this one. <laughs> okay, well, uh, probably not her, but the priest angle still has water. We do, we Maybe it's not her, but it's perhaps someone pretending to be a priest. Which, by the way, when you kind of visit her as she is recovering from her zombie troubles she does offhandedly mention oh yeah some priest's robes went missing last week it's like huh weird i wonder if that has anything to do with anything i don't know why she didn't tell anybody that that seems like something that might you might want to tell someone it's like well some priest vestments went missing a couple months back yeah definitely something somebody should have uh should have brought up especially since she's like yeah somebody probably stole these um oh but- by the way i did forget the reason he thinks that someone is is uh like impersonating a priest is that he tailed some amalgia who were hanging around the bazaar around the time orson was attacked you sneak into their camp and find a, a strange leaflet you find you find what is labeled as a queer leaflet now, obviously, back in the day, that was not that was not, that was just a synonym for strange. Back in like medieval times, yes. Oh, you know, you know, our boy Michael Christopher was all up while like, he was just, he was just 
rubbing his hands together like, oh, I get to, oh, I get to use the old words. I get to use the old. It's like it's like Joss Whedon letting getting to say Quim in the Avengers. God. You know, he loved it. He, I believe he did it anywhere. He was like, I love doing that. I, I love slipping that one by. Yeah. Like, Great, thanks, Joss. Fuck you. God. Um, but yeah, so, but, the, but you, this Leaf turns out to be a handwritten, like, Order of Naldthal note that is advertising, like, work, basically. But it's kind of sloppily written, and there's a lot of weird inconsistencies about, like, the actual religion. Um, and so you show this to Orson, and it's like, yeah, this shit's fake. Oh this yeah, no, this this shit is super fake, and obviously somebody is trying to use, like, the the uh, the church as an idea to lure people in for some sort of nefarious purpose that we don't know. I wonder what it could be. Could so be Thancred is like, alright, <laughs> here's the plan. Obviously, this has something to do with the kidnappings, but... You know, we don't we we, we got to figure out where we got to root out this priest. So we are gonna dress up as like some poor farmers blowing through town looking for work, and we're gonna do a sting operation on this guy. It's hilarious. Yeah, you get dressed up in some f- dirty ass like shepherd yeah. slops. Eastern Bar just has some old clothes on. Around. It's like if you don't mind the smell and the stains, it's fine. Yeah, I don't want to know what the smell and stains are from, sir. Definitely some dead guy's clothes here. Definitely from one of those corpses. Oh, God. Yeah, so you're wearing dead man's clothes, walking around asking people for some change, some, some spare change, sir? Yeah, so I, there, a are a few, there are a few interesting responses as you're like, you gotta, you gotta go wander around talking to, like, five different people. Because um, the plan is, like, well, we, we need talk to circulate, that there's some new people in town looking for work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, one of the people you talk to is this uh, Immortal Flames guardsman who's a real dick to you, honestly. He's like, oh, fucking Immortal Flames, don't eat your top. Get out of here. Um, um, don't cause no trouble also yeah, while you're in no town. Tr- exactly. Just, just that yeah, usual shit. Um, you, you find a priest of Azima. Uh, the warden, uh, one of the other members of the Twelve, who is also a doomsday prophet and believes the calamity was caused because uh, we are being punished for our sins. Of course, of course, naturally. You uh, And then just a few people who just really don't seem to like talking to poor people, uh, including the one lady who tells you to fuck off to that lake all the poor people hang out by. Yeah, and based on this information, uh, Thancred gets two things. One... Everybody's now talking about how there's poor people here and they're very not happy about it. Uh, But two, there appears to be some sort of gathering of poor people out by a lake nearby. You should go check that out. You and Thancred go up dressed in your in your dirty slops and hang out. And sure enough, some fucking shady guy dressed as a priest walks up. And who and like, could it be? <laughs> he was like, "Hey, hello, ah, my children, uh, don't do not fear. The order of Naldthal shall take you within our loving embrace." And then you turn around and go, "Is that fucking Ungust?" <laughs> yeah, it's Ungust, and he's just like, "Ah, shit." Um, I, I, it's really funny though, because like Thancred obviously, of course, first goes along, he's like, "Oh, really?" But then he immediately like 
pulls springs the trap is like i cannot believe what a fucking piece of shit you are yeah literally um, just the beneath contempt but so yeah. this this dude this dude so beyond just being like a total piece of shit obviously so he's at first he's like listen you can't be mad at me i was just doing it to protect my people the Malja were raiding us in the golden bazaar so much and i just had to to give up people uh and and all this information about crystal shipments or they would have killed everyone in my family yeah, um, and thankard's <laughs> like okay well that does sound bad, but why didn't you go to the flames instead of taking this deal? Yeah, well, it turns out the reason he didn't is because he's a lying sack of shit, and mostly he did this because the Amalja paid him a shitload of money. Yeah, and this is when Thangard says, words cannot describe the depths of my contempt. Yeah, this dude sucks. And he's like, alright, report to Minfilia, obviously what this means, like, Crystal shipments, kidnapping people, there's summoning a primal. Well, like, shit's about to go bad. So you head back to tell Monfilia all of the intel we've gathered. Yeah, and you might think, all right, so we have the intel. We've got everything well, together. We've got we got Thancred. <laughs> we got Ungist. We, we, we have a plan. No, it's time to learn about Materia. Yeah, so this is weird because... Yes, Materia is a, is an important part of this game. It is not a system you need to worry about until end game. Yeah, it's I can, I would imagine maybe Materia was like slightly more important or like more important in base ARR perhaps, but like as it stands now Materia is not a system you need to interact with at all unless you're doing, like, in-game raiding. Yeah, my understanding is that way back when, um, back when AR was, you know, a thing, um, there was, like, separate elemental damage types and resistances, and you could, like, apply elemental materia to weapons, and that was kind of relevant. Um, but... You know, nowadays, uh, none of that matters. You don't need to even think about materia, basically, until you're, like, level 90, so don't even worry about it. Yeah, I mean, so basically, you just... She just sends you to talk to a goblin. A goblin by the name of Mutamix Bubblypots. And her band of merry materia melders, who explain to you... What materia is and how you get it out of stuff and how you put it in stuff. Yeah. Uh, partially in Gobby speak. They've all picked it up very well. Yes. So th- there, there's that. Yeah. Um, that has nothing to do with anything. And you will, even if you do melt materia, guess what? You're never going to interact with those people ever again. Yeah. Well, I, unless you're in the alchemist quest line, I think they're relevant I guess. to that. But I, I haven't done alchemy stuff, so... It's just say? so funny to me that this is still here in the middle of ARR. It's like, well, this is not a system that is relevant at all. It's so funny. They're just we like... We will get to more later. Yeah. It, it's it's so funny, because it's just straight up like, hey, you know, if you want these mystical, magical materials to help you in your quest, go become a crafter. And it's like, no thanks, I live in the future, we have NPCs for that now. Yeah. So, after your little materia errand, you come back to Minfilia, 
uh, with this materia enhanced dagger. And she's like, great, you know about that now. Anyway, time for the actual plot to resume. Oh, speaking of the uh, dagger, actually, really briefly, I do want to mention the really weird description on it. Um, when you get it, the the original ones, the second, the, the materia melded description doesn't matter. But the first one is really weird because it says this dagger has absolutely no defining characteristics except that the hilt smells quite nice. Which is weird. You know, between that and that flame officer later on who is down bad from Infilia for no reason? What's what is going on there? What is going on? Somebody somebody had had something going on from Infilia and the writers are apparently they were like they had the hots for for the indistinguishable blonde lady, apparently. I guess. I mean, no accounting for taste. Anyway, <laughs> she's like, she says, well, you know, it's, it is regrettable, but if the Amalja intend on summoning a primal, we have to intervene. The flames have set up an ambush with Ungust. Uh, he's going to, he's going to go to give his report. At which point we will we will kind of uh, you know jump out and surprise him. So she tells you to go uh, meet up with uh, you know uh, with um, with the flames near the invisible city. Yes, which if you might not be able to tell from the uh, from the title is a city which is entirely invisible except for the tiny tiny little bit of ruins that is left over between uh, Camp Drybone and the Golden Bazaar. A lot of zombies Why there. isn't... Yeah, there's a lot of zombies and a lot of imps hanging out around there. Presumably so, some dark magics were involved, and we'll probably never know what happens. We'll never know the full extent of things, but, you know, the the history of Eorzea is filled with wizard wars of various varieties. Oh god, so many wizard wars. This, this is a result of one of them, I'm sure. So... You head to this ambush, and everything seems to be going according to plan. You know, you, you, all the flames jump out when the Amalja arrive. Uh, except, surprise, this is double ambush. We ambushed your ambush. Because Ungus was not acting alone. He had an inside man in the flames. Yes. He's like, oh, you fucking rubes. How do you think I went, you know on this grift for so long undetected i had a man on the inside the whole time and this other guy's like yeah you t- you tell him boss uh and then like a billion lizard guys show up and you have a solo duty which is definitely intended to feel extremely difficult like you're really outmatched and you just have like three shitty flames guys to help you but it's really not that difficult and it's very easy to like you know beat down all of the reinforcements and be left with like the one guy so it feels a little bad when the game is just like arbitrarily like nope fight's over you lose yeah so uh, what i do like is that in the cutscene, one of the emulsion black mages like casts sleep on you it's pretty cute yeah i do actually quite like that because i i feel like it's you know, those kind of like, uh, like arbitrary fail state cutscenes are, you know, they usually end with like the player character like surrendering for no reason. But here, at least it's a little bit more like it makes a little more sense because you just got sleep cast on you. 
Yeah, like try trying to convey a an overwhelming odds when you are the protagonist of of an MMORPG, and thus like a a singularly unkillable demigod is hard. Now they do get really good at it later on. Yeah, the there are stakes that are not. There are a lot of guys. Instead, there are stakes that are like more nebulous than that. Um, yeah, however, they do also do it really bad later too. However, for now, we are stuck with there's a lot of guys. Yeah, there's granted, you're also only well thirty eight or whatever, twenty eight. Who knows? Well, technically, you're supposed to be level twenty, but yeah. Well, the level no. how how fast you level is kind of skewed at this point in the game. So you know all the level bonuses and everything. Um, anyway, you wake up in a hole. You do wake up in a hole, and uh, all these other guys that were with you are in the hole, and uh, you're all getting lined up to be sacrificed. But whoops, it turns out it's actually not a sacrifice at all. It's a mass tempering. So, yeah, a few things about this, like, interstitial area. There are a few uh, duties that sort of teleporting into an instance area like this. Um, this one, most, mostly it's just all of the flames going, oh god, oh god, please, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. And some Amalja guy you can talk to just says, you heathens will soon, uh, worship the true lord of flames. But there's one guy over in the corner next to a marsh who says, hey, this, this, this pond, this little, this little pond here, it leads out to a pond next to Drybone. You can swim out there and, and find help. Because most areas let you leave you 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 aren't cut off from using return or teleport in any of these areas yeah you can just you can just walk out you can just leave and go do anything else um and it's not a big deal but usually in most cases these sort of little areas like this where you're supposed to be trapped aren't really um they just sort of lampshade the fact that it because of the nature of an mmo you're allowed to like go back to places uh you know it's it's really 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 funny in endwalker by the way but uh but none of you will know about that for a long time uh (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so this brings us to the first trial of our realm reborn that's right we talked about the dungeons last time this is the next type of duty we're going to encounter uh trials are basically boss fights they are a they are a they are normally a single enemy that you fight with usually eight people but the first three trials in realm reborn are much easier versions of their their uh, you know their normal fight counterparts and they are four person duties yeah there's like a couple of mechanics in them they're not particularly difficult they're really just training wheels fights to get you like used to the concept of a trial which makes sense right the first few dungeons also basically training wheels dungeons get you used to the concept of a dungeon so it's time for us to enter the first trial of our own reborn the Bowl of Embers. Yeah. 
DPS, with an extremely long opening cutscene, actually, where the Amalja, like, do their ritual. And it's really cool looking, actually. Like, Ifrit sort of forms, like, an orb in front of the, like, eclipsed sun, and he comes down, he's all, like, covered in fire, he's this, like, big, cool, like, devil-looking guy, um, and he breathes blue flame all throughout the, uh, the people standing around, and, uh, this tempers them, so all the flames, all the people who are with you, and hilariously, also Ungust and his friend, who are betrayed, uh, they all get their minds shattered and turned into, like, mindless, like, followers of Ifrit. But you're fine. Yeah, so th- this kind of introduces one of the main things about primals in this game, which is their mere presence is enough to completely, like, conquer the will of anyone within their general vicinity. And turn them to, you know, basically change their only goal into being summoning and making my god more powerful. Yeah. Uh, This is a permanent state, by the way. Yes. So, bad shit all around. This entire arc is basically sort of building the foundations of what is a primal and why do we need to be worried about them, which which Menphilia will expand upon later. But for now... Euphreet realizes that you have not been tempered, and he, and he says, Ah, the Paragons warned me about people like you, people who would have a resistance to my will. Well, don't worry. Uh, I will just fucking kill you. Yeah, no worries about that, bro. So we do kill him fairly easily. Um, yeah, I want to talk about a few of the mechanics, because there, yeah. there are a couple. The main one that jumps out... So, th- so first of all, this is the first boss who has what's called the cleat. Which is a gigantic, uh, you know, it is not an AOE. It is a it is a normal attack which hits a wide radius. So this is based. This boss is kind of the first one to really pointedly tell you, "Hey, point the boss away from the rest of the party." Yes, this sort of introduces the concept of don't spin the boss, which is you know a thing where a tank just sort of runs around a circle around a guy a lot. Yeah, you don't typically want to do that. Uh, and this is a fight that teaches you not to do that. Um, that's sort of because the point, main difficult thing, though. Yeah, so he's got a few non-standard-looking AoEs, like with uh, cracks along the ground that explode, and these, like, puddles of fire. Then there's one other thing where he creates a gigantic infernal nail that if you don't destroy, uh, he just kills you. Yes, um, this introduces the concept of of like a, a wipe mechanic into the into the uh, sort of lexicon a, here. Yeah, it's a DPS check. If you can't kill the nail, or if you don't kill the nail, you die. Um, I want to talk a little bit about obviously uh, the song and his design. So I would say music is very important to the fabric of Final Fantasy XIV's identity. Uh, oh, a lots of songs are very famous for being bangers. They have been memeified. For being really good. Um, so, Ifrit's theme is called Primal Judgment, which you heard at the very beginning of this segment here. And f- just from the snippet that I played you, I think you can tell that, like, it is not necessarily anything spectacular. It is very, very classic RPG boss sounding, right? And I believe, I believe this track is an Uematsu track uh the the composer 
for most of Final Fantasy uh, before he retired after, I want to say 10, but I'm not entirely sure. I don't, uh, don't quote me on any of that. I am not a Final Fantasy music expert, but Uematsu is like the Final Fantasy music guy. Um, and he's written, he usually writes a lot of the music for vocal tracks um for this he wrote dragon song the main vocal theme for heaven's word um but this is just like i mean it's very fitting there's a lot of horns a lot of brass a lot of ominous choruses but it's not it doesn't pop it doesn't jump out of you it just sounds like video game boss music it does it does i i quite like it honestly i feel like it's it's very it's got like an atmosphere to it that fits it, and I, I think that's just because generally of the sort of three ARR like main um, tribes, right? Like I like the Amalja's sort of motif the best. Uh, like a lot of brass, a lot of flute. Um, this uh, there's sort of a string instrument in there too that I couldn't really name but uh but it's but it's really good i I like the i like the motif of it and uh and i think it fits with sort of the visual aesthetic uh that ifrit has going on so yeah so we have so ifrit's look um obviously ifrit one of the main summons of like final fantasy he's in almost every game in some shape or form um here i I think it's interesting that summons are generally a very antagonistic thing in this game uh even though one of the classes is a summoner it's not you aren't you're not you aren't summoning these guys these guys are bad news and so as a result the sifrit he is very bestial he is he is very reptilian befitting the amalgia he is sort of a like big spindly spiky dragon dog lizard yeah. Is the best way I could describe him. He's got a very, like, demon-esque thing going on, too. Like, a very, like, Diablo demon thing with the really, really huge, pronounced, kind of curvy ram's horns. Yeah. Like, a, a demon of hellfire sort of thing. Um, it's fine. I, I honestly, like, everything about this first fight is kind of underwhelming considering even what happens with the second trial um that we face here like to me this is just introducing this is what a primal is this is what a primal fight sort of looks like but i think from there they kind of begin to branch out and have different ideas about like well what does a primal fight look like what does a primal fight sound like yeah, this this fight is pretty bare bones, uh, which is a little bit of a shame. I think Ifrit does get a little bit shortchanged in that way, but um, but it's it's fine. It's completely serviceable. Um, I think his design's completely serviceable. Um, gets the idea across, that sort of thing. I do like him. Probably of the three main ARR primals. I think his design might be the most appealing to me. Um, it, it has like the most like cohesion and like st- like visual interest going on, at least for me anyway. That's interesting, yeah. Well, regardless, you kill him pretty easily. Like he is not hard 
even on minimum viable, which we didn't do this time. But if we did, it would not have been challenging. Yes, um, we, we kick his ass and take his name, which in this case is a special red crystal. Yeah, another crystal of light to add to our collection. Yes, um, and there's big like Ocarina of Time vibes to these crystal of light cutscenes. Like very big, like you just got the medallion and you're in the like spirit realm uh, thing, which is kind of neat. You can see there's there's some definite like um, visual inspiration being drawn from a source like that. Yeah, uh, Ifrit explodes and dissipates. Everyone, all the humans who had been tempered are kind of stumbling around in a daze um and thankard arrives kind of bemoaning that he's too late to help however uh an amalgia starts running at you and thankard does a cool knife flip and kills him yeah a unique animation by the way which uh, you don't see an enormous amount of at this you know point in the game uh he gets like his own little flip and throws a bunch of knives down in this guy's chest which is pretty cool so you know he says like i you know i we, I, I wondered if perhaps you had that you had a gift that could could really change the course of this realm, and it, and it seems my suspicions were correct. Yeah. Uh, so head back to Minf- uh, head back to the Waking Sands, and I'll we you and I can give Minfilia a report. As you walk away, though, we cut to above the Bowl of Embers, where someone has been watching the proceedings. Yes, and it turns out that person was Mr. Nero Tolskeva, and also Livia Sostgenius. Um And they're here to just sort of observe. Apparently they've got some sort of plan, and that all yeah. of this is part of it. So they're talking about how Ifrit's performance was kind of underwhelming considering the data field they had from five years ago which is the last time Afrit was summoned before the calamity um and Nerotolskava was just kind of wondering like well that uh that adventurer sure to throw a wrench in things I wonder I wonder what that guy's gonna do we should probably keep an eye on him yes uh there is a really funny bit though I think where where Livia is basically like hey Nero you're uh <laughs> Your watch is ugly, and it doesn't even work. Can we please leave? And he's just kind of like, uh, fine. It's it's yeah. it's kind of a hilarious interaction. Yeah, I believe this is the first time Livia says Junius. Is this the first time she's named? Uh, it might be. I th- She may have been named in that one really weird cutscene before, but I could not remember. Also, more weird stuff around her and Gaius because she she warns Nero not to go behind Gaius's back she also mentions that like we cannot count on any help from Garlemald because of the whole uh you know the all of the court intrigue going on we are on our own yeah so I don't want you dragging me off for these wasteful missions yeah sort of a succession crisis going on right now so uh you know, the uh, Gaius's little army here is basically entirely cut off. Um, yeah. But yeah, the Delivious, Delivious stuff's kind of weird. Um, maybe we'll talk... It only about- gets weirder with other certain contexts. Yeah, we'll probably talk about it at some point. It's weird. It's a weird situation. Let's move on. So, you head back to the Waking Sands, where Thancred is already giving Minfilia his report. And I think here is where we begin to see that Thangard is really hard on himself here. He is like, he feels like shit that he did not show up to help you in time to like 
do anything. Yeah. Um, and, and when Philly is like, you, you can't blame yourself for stuff like this, Thancred. Plus, I mean, even if you were there, would it have done, you know, what, what, what would have happened? You would have been tempered, maybe. Yeah, because, of course, Thancred is not an Echo user, uh, so he probably would have been tempered. Um, now, this why is, why where we is, get the, why is Echo this user is we get, relevant? Well. Yes. So this is where we get the big primal uh, exposition dump here. So, Manfili explains, oh, I wish. Um, I'm thinking visibly about the future orb PowerPoints we have in store for us. Yes. Um, so, Manfilia tells you a lot of details about what primals are, how they function, and why they're dangerous. Basically, primals do not exist in a proper physical form if things are normal. They are sort of... Their essence is kind of spread out through the ether across the world. However, when a ritual is used to cause an etheric convergence, they can be summoned in a physical form. Now, the ether required to sustain and power a primal's physical incarnation is massive. They need to basically devour these ether crystals by the fucking bucket load. Yeah, and that's not like, enough on its own. They also draw from the land and all the people around them. So, in an, in an essence, primals are kind of walking environmental disasters on their own. <laughs> and that's not even getting into the other bit of them, which is the aforementioned tempering. So... The other thing that powers primals is worship. And so they temper anyone within reach to become one of their worshippers and give it more strength. Yeah, the tempering process basically permanently enthralls you as a worshipper of whatever the primal is. And your entire life becomes dedicated to doing whatever is required to... A, summon the primal, and B, give it more followers. So, you know, that's kind of bad. However, those who possess the Echo, like you and Minfilia, are immune to tempering for whatever reason. Yes. In fact, Minfilia has a very specific thing to say about it, which is that is is as if a greater power protects us. Hmm. Mysterious. Um... And after this, Thanker kind of pulls you aside and is like, okay, so about the, the tempering thing, um, it is permanent, which also means that there is nothing to be done. And so everyone who is in there with you uh, is going to be executed. Yeah, but don't Off tell anybody, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so this is like probably one of the darker bits of of this of this conflict right because what what this means is they they say later that the immortal flames have stopped have have killed a freed before at great personal cost so what the public probably hears from all of these anti-primal incursions is that they died fighting the primal the reality is they all got tempered and had to be put down yeah it's it is one of the darker things about like the ARR primal quest is that yeah there are a lot of people just being mass executed and then thrown in grave like grave pits because like they just don't have anything else to do 
by their own comrades, may we remind you. Like, all of the immortal flames have to kill all of their fellow flames. Because if they don't, they're just going to be a danger to themselves and everyone around them and try to summon a fucking fire dog. Yeah, because that's, that's the thing about it, right? Is that people who have been tempered, the only thing that matters to them at that point is making sure their god exists and their god is like properly worshipped or whatever. And they'll do literally anything to make sure that happens. And that means killing and maiming and whatever else. And that's, you know, bad for a society to and have. like, presumably, in a world that was not already hanging on by a thread because a giant dragon exploded out of the moon and fucked everything up really bad. Maybe there would be some kind of structure to like have a place to put these people and try and figure out something to do. However, this ain't that world. There's no no resources, no infrastructure really. So chop their heads off and throw them in a ditch yeah it's pretty grim it's it's very very grim it's like again this on is on the plus side on on the bright side one of those guys was ungust so that's true so at least that guy is super <laughs> dead we can we can take solace in that it's weird again arr gets weirdly dark with it in parts yeah. that just it just feels weird this isn't one of the weirder ones right like this at this least is, makes yeah this one this one's fine this is i i, I do not find this one necessarily off-putting like the other stuff is because like yeah this this is like dark fantasy stuff you can play with fine because it also like ties into a lot of stuff um yeah. so yeah thank you tells you this and then he like uh kind of heads on out um and he just have a little aside it's like he he, he mutters to himself like I gotta get stronger. I got. I gotta prove my worth. Yeah. Uh, before he heads out. Also, he's like, oh, old Grandpa Lewis. He never would have let this happen. Yeah. Which is so, probably true. He he would not uh, be cool with the mass execution thing. No. No, he would not. Um, and Philly is like, well, so now that you're number one primal killer, you're probably gonna get a lot of people asking you to hang out. And on cue, three members of the grand companies, of the three grand companies of Eorzea, bust into the solar and immediately, like, we want to hire you for our army. Yeah, the army recruiters show up immediately. Um, and Because Tataru <laughs> tweeted it out. Yeah, Tataru tweeted this out, and when Mephilia's like, hey, somebody must have let the cat out of the bag, and she just goes, eep. Um, so yeah, <laughs> Mephilia's like, all right listen so this is another weird thing that never unlike materia which will become relevant in the late game freak uh, grand companies are this weirdly vestigial part of the error experience um like the, obviously they're they're relevant throughout the entire story that's true however your membership in them basically does nothing yeah there's so the grand company system is really weird um it's very vestigial and it is kind of partially because like they sort of realized the system wasn't that fun 
to play around with so they kind of yeah. stopped development on it like uh if you when you join the grand company you get like a rank there's a ranking system based on like a bunch of stuff that you do um and if you click on like the the button and it shows you like all the ranks you can get it goes up all the way to like uh like a grand marshal captain commander of the army or whatever but even now like post endwalker the highest rank you can achieve is like only six up that ladder they just never did any of the other ranks it, that doesn't exist and i find it very weird that minfilia is like well you know why not join one of the armies like <laughs> yeah she's just hey listen listen joining the army's pretty cool Seems like it would be right up your alley. So listen, why don't you go listen to all the president speeches? Figure out what army you like best. Also, here's a cell phone. Yeah, even she even says like, I, adventurers don't necessarily appreciate a rigid structure, but hey, do it anyway. It's like they can barely even come up with a justification for it, like within their own quest line. Um, and it's just a weird thing of like the the kind of bizarre neoliberal morass that final fantasy 14 sometimes finds itself in of like army um and it's also weird because i i really don't think these speeches necessarily put the grand companies in the best of lights either it's a very weird quest line all right so here let me let us set this up so the the main setup is hey those the, the remember those remembrance species you, know, you you went around eorzea as an envoy convincing people to put on well they're gonna put those on and i bet this would be a great time to figure out what of which of their ideologies you like the most and want to align yourself with despite the fact that like this is this is cosmetic at best like you you get the you get the insignia on your on your player profile and you can uh, get unique armor sets at like max rank. But other than that, there's nothing to do in a grand company. No, the only r- things that you really get to do in a grand company are you can turn in all the gear that you don't want to use uh, for you know grand company fun bucks, which you can spend on you know some useful things like you know glamour prisms and whatever um and some materials for like special weapon quests later um the other thing you can do which is not all that fun is you can recruit yourself a little a little squad and go on command missions which is you have like three little npcs that you take with you into a dungeon and you do the dungeon and the npcs are not especially smart and it's kind of a slog um but if you do it enough times you can rank up to the highest rank and buy a jacket so there's that they are also tied to the hunt system and arr but that's quickly dropped in the other expansions mostly because other expansions for the most part don't take place on Eorzea. they're on different continents and cities and shit yeah where the grand companies don't exist so there's no reason for them to be tied to the hunts so basically 
the grand companies are a trash bin for dungeon gear you don't want and a place to buy aetherite tickets pretty much which i mean you know it's like fine it's it's also it's also tied this is the other reason it's vestigial it's tied to the ARR pvp which doesn't really exist anymore oh frontline is kind of it but it's been drastically changed there was a lot of like weird like war game type stuff that they were like it was it's all very strange and was very quickly dropped from the game but it's all still here um so anyway we won't be covering any grand company stuff because frankly there's just there's really nothing nothing to to cover frankly like you can pick whichever one you want doesn't matter just look at the armor sets you get for max rank and see which one you like best i guess that's that's how i usually choose so instead we're going to talk about the three speeches um and here's how i'm going to structure this because ultimately these three speeches are very similar in terms of their content what matters more is their tone and the kind of the the kind of environment they're being given in yes um you can go in any order you want i went grudania uh limsa and i finished in Ulda. um and ba- basically every leader uh give kind of had the every speech kind of had the same structure where they will start by kind of recounting the founding of their city state they will talk very briefly about Cartano. Um, very briefly, pointedly. like a sentence. And the uh, Cartano and the Calamity. And then they will talk about the threats currently facing their door, which amounts to, quote-unquote, Beast Tribes and the Garlean Empire. Um, which, and, they, and then they ask people to, to rally under the banner of their, um, their grand company. So... That's basically all of the speeches, and we'll go into a little bit of detail beyond on the kind of vibes of these. There's one other thing. Yes. There's one other important thing in all of these, which is that during the speech, the twins from the very first opening cutscene of the game sidle up to you, and the, the, little sh- the, 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 the little boy, the little self-assured youth, leans in and says, hey, check out that flag. Think about that. You, think, he, all right. He, he literally just leans in and explains flag symbolism to you in the middle of the speech. Yes. So, he does this in all of the speeches. He's just a, he's just yes. a real fan of vexillography. So these are Alphano and Alice as they introduce themselves. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about them. So Alphano is like, he is a, he, as, as was his like generic title of, he is a very self-assured youth. He is, he considers himself very worldly and knowledgeable about things. Yes, he, he um, sort of self-describes him and his sister as students of history, just here to observe. Yeah. Um, so, voice notes for Alphano. Oh, um, boy. So, in Japanese, Alphano is voiced by Shinosuke Tachibana. Um, looking down... The list here 
It looks like a lot of cream-faced anime boys. Yeah, I I like I like their performance on on Japanese Alpha No a lot actually. I think like he's he's really got that uh range to be able to like do that, you know, snotty self-assured yes. kid but like also kind of change over time. There's just a, lot, a whole lot of a whole lot of anime pretty boys in here, so definitely playing to type uh here in this one um how's he sound in english well um he's he sounds he sounds um so in english in arr uh alphano is voiced by sam regal of critical role yes and um so here's the problem with sam regal's vocal range as alphano um he is like in his mid 40s when he's recording this i think or like early 40s uh-huh you can tell and he sounds like it yeah and he, that's the the main problem is that he sounds like he's 40 years old yeah well i mean that's part of it the other part is that he sounds just like a guy like yeah he just sounds like hey can you come into the recording booth for five minutes and record these lines for me thanks you know that kind of vibe which like ah it sounds so mean to say that i'm i'm so sorry mr regal your performance as alpha no is is really is really rough it's really not it's so Um, rough i mean some characters that he's played in the past obviously on critical he's the wretched beast known as teddy from persona um he was phoenix wright in umvc3 uh that's hilarious it's like he's he's like oh he's he was a lot of ghouls in new vegas um yeah that tracks i could see that just like a just like a ghoul voice actor he was a fuck ton of random dudes in naruto shippuden (laughs) just like not anyone important i don't think just some guys just like dudes just some dudes um he is also apparently the uh, the current like go-to voice for donatello of the ninja turtles yeah that tracks yeah i don't know mr regal you know i'm sure you tried your best i'm sure you were probably just not given good direction but oh man (laughs) it's it's really really rough sir i'm sorry I definitely think out of all of the ARR voice acting, um, I think his is the worst. There are definitely other performances I take issue with, but in terms of guys I hate to listen to, Alphano is at the top of the list in ARR. Oh, yeah. Like, for me, so far, Alphano, worst of the worst. Um, I think Raubon might be second, though, because Raubon's also real rough. Like... Listen, Jason Miller is a great vocalist, voice actor. Perhaps not. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's 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 hard when when I'm coming off of listen to, listening to like Japanese Raban and then going yeah. into hearing English Raban. It's 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 like it's like going from like two thousand grit sandpaper to like to like one grit. So. Uh, about his sister Alice, uh, who is her generic title is Cynical Girl, and she is definitely 
a little bit more cynical and way more hot-headed than Alphano is. She is like she just looks she she does not want to be there at all in any of these fucking speeches. You can tell. She's always the first to leave. She doesn't say shit to you. Uh she only has two lines during this entire sequence because other, the, the rest of the time she's just like sulking. Um so in Japanese, she's voiced by Rie Rie Murakawa. Um Right now, I would guess she is most famous for voicing Ram from ReZero, one of the maid girls, the pink one. Um, other than that, Alice seems to be her most consistent character. Yeah, and she is one of my favorites in this whole game. Her performances are basically always spectacular like she fucking knocks it out of the park alice is like easily i think my favorite character in the whole game due in no small part to how well this lady uh voices her it like the the range is great the emotional performance is spot on like just it it just it's, it's perfect it's awesome love alice english alice is okay fine uh behind the voice actors lists alice say as her only credit so presumably she's another like screen actor or whatever they just pulled off the street or maybe she's just no one because alice say has two lines and this whole here's the secret here's the secret she's got like three lines in this whole game she leaves after the last cutscene we're going to talk about here yeah. she's out of the game Al- alice say despite the fact that she is probably my favorite character in this whole game unfortunately she doesn't actually get to be a character until probably three-fourths of the way through the whole thing um which is a colossal shame uh it's it's you know breaks my heart a little bit but uh you know that's them's the breaks unfortunately final fantasy 14 um it's not always very kind to its women characters weirdly enough that started improving after a woman started writing it Mm, interesting weird um so basically all right so first let's start with kane senna's speech um this one is like she is very much putting a focus on healing the twelves wood and reconnecting with the elementals, but she's definitely still saying they should kick the Ixal out. Yeah, hers is probably the most, like, n- normal of the speeches. Yes. Like, it's the most normal. Her- there's not really a lot of, like, s- like saber rattling. I mean, there's still some, but it's yes. not that bad. Hers is the most like an actual memorial speech of, like, and she's, like, kind of saying, what 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 should Gridania do going forward about all of this like we are not inclined to war but with the garleans descending on us we must prepare for it and all that yeah um she's fine whatever that that is that is perfectly within uh reasonable range for the acorn president um i was saying but like sorry but I, i think we're about to say the same thing where honestly i feel like gridania kind of coasts by on this image of like nature's harmony right yeah where they they believe they put out this image of well we we don't fight wars we don't do anything when later we learned that one of the biggest inter like state wars in the last 
few centuries that is not with Garlemald, one of the belligerents was Gridania. Yeah, so their their image of being very peaceable and nice and happy with everybody is not quite all uh, all true. But uh, there's there's a really specific bit that happens during this cutscene that I I quite like, uh, where Alice does have like a line. And she's like, on how how do you propose to honor the memory of those you cannot even remember? You know, pointing out that, you yeah. know, nobody talks about the warriors of light. Yeah. Um, no one, no one even passingly mentions them. Yeah. Which so... is weird because when you talked to the whatever president uh, during that like little banquet you went to way earlier, you know, they go out of their way to talk about the previous warriors of light so it's interesting that they are just completely absent now yeah next let's talk about merlewib um merlewib is much more like she's the most patriotic out of all of them i think oh yes um the like it, it is the it is the nation of limsa limensa that is great is it is the banner of the maelstrom that is great we we arose from a a humble fishing village built out of the wreckage of a, of a boat called the galadion and now we have become the foremost naval power in the world and we must recapture that we must we must unite under this banner once more and beat the fuck out of the kobolds and the sahagan yeah racism ahoy captain we've got uh Yo. yeah it's uh it's a little rough there are two things that i want to point out about this speech and they have nothing to do with the speech point one when you get into the room every time there's like some background chatter that happens yeah i I was learning what this said because this is unsubtitled so i didn't understand any of it yeah so there's there's some background chatter and none of it means anything it's just like yeah go president yeah let's get him or whatever so there's that however at the start of the limsa speech there is just a guy who just says noises he's like a like like a <laughs> drunk old man going yeah like literally that's that's what he says it's the funniest yes. shit in the world like that sounds about right for Linsa. <laughs> like some dude just wandered in from the bar he doesn't even know what's going on he's just like uh, where am i um the second thing i want to point out is alfano makes a comment at one point where he's like lol they like freedom how quaint one struggles to even tell the difference between them and their so-called beast tribes like yo alfano are you good dude ar alfano is so funny like he is such a reddit motherfucker in this part of the game like and he is one of my favorite characters right now in the game, but like, trust me, where he starts from here, he is he is a little shit. He is a little shithead. He is the kind um, of guy who unironically says, mm, apartment complex? Mm, I find them quite simple, actually. <laughs> is Alice say, uh, you telling me to shrimp fry this rice? Thing? Oh, for sure. She's definitely not based based on what. No, yeah. Um, I don't know who, I don't I know who based some, based yeah, on what mean, is warrior of light is (laughs) um so yeah now on to what i think is the most fun speech uh, at least in japanese definitely raban's because here's the thing about raban motherfucker used to be a gladiator 
So he knows how to work a crowd. Oh, yeah. This dude is fired up. He gives a good-ass speech. He gets everybody riled up. And hilariously, like, 80% of this speech is literally just, hey, can we all stop being capitalists for, like, five minutes so we can, like, kind of rebuild a society? Yeah, Yeah, he's like... You know, there's this there's this through line of like Uldan wealth is not just measured in gold and jewels. Uldan wealth is something like deeper than that. And we have to help our neighbors out to build ourselves back better to be able to fight the Garleans at our door. Um, and uh, at one point he does say that Ulda bled and, and spent the most on Cartineau. And I, I think it's uh, Alice who goes, hmm, that's weird. Is that how it went, huh? Weird how you can just say whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, yeah. Especially since we know for a fact that uh, Old Da was... Well, okay, actually, the Maelstrom was the first to pull out. Then Old Da pulled out, and then Gridania stayed uh, the longest, so... Yeah, I don't really know if we know the exact loss numbers. I don't know if it really matters, but just like... I feel like everyone definitely claimed that they lost the most at Cartano. Yeah, if anybody um, has claimed to that, it's probably the Order of the Twin Adders, because again, they stayed the longest and held up the rear. But like, y- yeah. you know, everybody's saber-rattling right now. They're trying to drum up, you know, enthusiasm for joining the army because, uh, you know, it turns out, you know, fighting primals kind of takes it out of you as an organized yeah. military when you gotta like put down your own guys afterwards yeah between all these speeches and well i guess i'll say that like yeah this this is the most stirring and speech and it is still saber rattling but it's probably the most effective one because you're just so fired up about what Raban's saying it's like yeah i'll go along with that guy also nanimo uh makes a speech uh she she addresses the crowd as well about like we we have to like you know we have to find unity we have to work through this together instead of extracting all the wealth we can out of our neighbors yeah and she has the cute little thing where she sits on raubon's arm that's always cute i love it love it so between all of this alphano alphano has two functions in this cutscene the first one is to explain what the flag means to you i do like the bit on the um so so just just for just for like record's sake uh the twin adders flag is 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 like uh two snakes curled around a spear i believe um which is meant to represent the cooperation between here and elizin building gridania Mm -hmm. the maelstrom's flag is a boat set against a a crimson flag the boat is meant to represent the pirate fleets of limsa the crimson is the blood of their enemies naturally very straight very straightforward i must admit uh, the Immortal Flames has a scale on it, a, perf- a perfectly balanced scale, as I was mentioning earlier, representing the Jewel of Wealth and the Flame of Magic, each perfectly aligned. Yes, and that's that's your vexilog- yeah. vexillography lesson for the day. He also exists to tell you more about the Beast Tribes and what primals they worship. He's like, hey, there's, those guys uh, hang out with Leviathan. So those guys hang out with Ramu. Like, he just tells you what guys you're going to fight later. Yeah, basically. more or less. It's it, it's a little, you know, ham-fisted-y, but it, it works. It, it, yeah. it gets the job done. 
And after you finish listening to your last speech, um, Amphilia calls you up on that cell phone she gave you earlier and basically begs you to come back and make a decision so she can kick these army recruiters out of her office. (laughs) They won't leave. This fucking Immortal Flames guy keeps asking me out to dinner. I would like him to go away, please. I'm running out of excuses. God. So, yeah, you go Uh, go back, you give your guy your decision, um... But then we got a little. Uh, by the way, what did I want? I want to know actually if you made a in character choice because I kind of did for this. Oh, I did too. I role played. So let's go ahead and say which ones we joined because we won't be talking about them again probably. Um, Aurelius was mostly unconvinced by all the saber rattling. He doesn't really care about much of that. However, the thing that did interest him was all of the talk of the elementals. All of this mysterious forest magic he really had no experience in. And so, he joined the Order of the Twin Adders to be closer to all that stuff and see if he could figure something out. Interesting. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Yisu, on the other hand, she stuck with the flames, you know. She's the kind of girl who, like, you know, she really connects with somebody uh, on on the field of battle, and she's she's fought alongside these guys enough times to like be like, yeah, you know, I like these guys. These guys are cool. I'm like, we're bros. So she joined up with them. So after you join up, uh, you get a cutscene here, where it's it's Alfano and Alice chilling at the quicksand with some like. Who are these fucking manservants they have, by the way? Who are these guys? Yeah, they just I want to know have like more a, about these dudes. They have like a complement of gigantic row, like, <laughs> butlers in like these stupid <laughs> little <laughs> butler outfits. It's like three or four <laughs> of them. Who the fuck are these dudes? I want to, like, these guys never fucking show up again. Who are these guys? Listen. They're like the, they're like the butler from Cats Don't Dance. The fucking big dude. Yeah, they're like combination bouncer butlers. Like, just here to take care of these, these fucking 12 year olds as they run around all over the place. Um, but yeah, the twins are having some dinner. And they talk about all the stuff that they've seen today. And Alice is like, hey, that was all a load of shit. Yeah, she specifically says, like, that was not a fucking memorial service. That was just a rally. Like, they did, they barely mentioned Cartano at all. And Alice Alpha was like, hmm, yeah, well, of course it was a rally. I mean, they one has to bolster your defenses to protect the realm oh god alpha no literally he's just like like mm-hmm, yes quite he's like sipping his little cup of tea and yes. he's just like he is... he's talking down to alice the whole time like uh, obvi- obviously they're not yes, going to mention any of so... that because they have uh, other things to worry about he is so punchable in this moment alice is like you know what fuck this there i am not leaving like Grand, you know, I grandfather wouldn't have wanted us to leave this realm in the hands of some fucking despots who will just say whatever they want to get people to join their goddamn military. I am going to go find another way. You you can play politics here all you want. I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. And so she storms off and disappears from the game. Uh, technically, she's in the like raid series for ARR, but like we won't talk about that for a billion years so 
Um, bye, Alice. We'll so we'll see you later. I I feel like we didn't talk enough about their weird fucking outfits. Let's talk about their weird oh, fucking God, their, outfits because I hate their them. weirdo outfits. So what is going on? These outfits are insane. I'm I'm gonna just quickly pull up a visual reference so I can just really uh, tear into them. They're utterly, they're under, I mean, they, where, where could you be left to tear? They're already full of fucking holes. I mean, yes, quite literally, they are full of holes. So, yeah, this, this outfit is wild. Like, okay, so you have the Aethero goggles, you know, we've talked about them uh, before, and they're just sort of as part of, like, the chest piece of this outfit, like, almost like a colossal belt buckle holding the two sides of the world's ugliest jacket together um they are of course wearing identical outfits the only difference is there's these two little weird chest crystals and alphano's uh, are green and alsay's are red and alsay also wears a green or a red hair tie and alphano wears a blue hair tie yes and oh boy like the the boots the fucking the the, like these like colossal platform heel boots it i don't understand how they put it on how do they put on these outfits it's a like how, how is this possible how do you how do you wear this this cloth object like it's like gloves on gloves and like a weird hood and there's like an undershirt that as far as I can tell the undershirt portion appears to either be sleeveless or have exposed shoulders. I don't know which is weirder. Um is it like a leotard? It's it looks like a leotard but like it's a turtleneck leotard. It's this outfit is insane it's got like a weird long bit too going like like trailing off the outfit is wild i don't understand what is happening like in in a in a a game where we just fought a a gigantic fire dog lizard uh who feasts on crystals and turns everyone into a mindless slave the most preposterous thing is these fucking outfits easily easily like by by far i just yeah so that's 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 the twins here alphano is a smug little reddit shithead alice has exited the video game for two and a half expansions um yeah we'll we'll catch you later girl and you'll actually get some content and it'll be great and we'll all love you you go take a nap <laughs> go get some go get some beauty rests we'll see you later um in the meantime while you're doing all of this you know grand company stuff um that doesn't really matter there is one thing that happens uh when you are about to get inducted into whatever army you decided to join um you get interrupted by an airship crash uh, and of course the army is too busy doing army things to take care of it so go get them tiger <sighs> yeah like i mean we uh so next time yeah we're gonna be fucking around with the sylphs i guess yeah 
we will be fucking around with the sylphs uh we'll meet biggs and wedge that's fun um it's a whole a whole thing that's right uh, and so until then when we will find a lot of there's a lot of onions there are a lot of we'll have to be talking to there are a lot of onions uh, uh do we yeah all right so until next time when we talk about that yeah, if you if you are not accompanying us to the spoiler zone next time we will be talking about onion times i guess i don't we'll talk about the cabbage people yeah full full disclosure I don't really like the sylphs. I think they're weird. Yeah. I don't have there's not there's nothing like objectionable about them. I just don't like looking at them. Yeah, the cabbage fairies are a little bit weird, but uh but yes, if uh if you're leaving us, then uh we'll catch you next time. But if you want to talk about some spoiler stuff, we'll see you on the other side. So, couple of things. Two things specifically. They both have white hair. Their fashion gets better. We can say that at least. Yeah, the twins. The twins. So the twins. Who is, did? I don't understand how Amelia and let them leave the house like that. I don't understand how. I mean, okay, okay. We know for a fact that Amelia bought them those matching outfits because she thought they were cute, and. Ma'am, what this it yeah, that, feels that, like that, you, was, that was when they if that was when they were children. Yeah, what is the explanation for these outfits? They're still children right now. They're like fourteen guess, or something. But and I'm pretty I, sure I consider that I consider that as like when they were five. She did that. No, no, I'm pretty sure that in that conversation they specifically talk about how the Arar outfits were outfits that their mom bought them specifically to be matchy. I'm pretty sure that that's specifically mentioned, which, again, it's got all the vibes of, like, you know those those people who buy, like, quote-unquote cute outfits, like, for their dog, and you know the dog <laughs> fucking hates it? It's got that vibe. Yeah, like, uh, well, we're not, we're not necessarily here to talk about their fashion. We're going to talk about them as characters, because I, you know... It's so fascinating. I couldn't. I could not help myself but think of, like, all of the stuff we have with the twins and Inwalker and Shadowbringers. Of like, they they do change so fucking much over the course of this game. Colossally, colossally. Like, Alphino is such a little Reddit shithead, and he's just so condescending to his sister. And Alice isn't even a character. And like, like when I was, you know, playing through, um, I, I did this thing. I think we both did this actually to varying degrees, but I did like, like a tier list of all the characters that I had met up to a certain point every time I finished a major expansion and just placed them sort of, you know, based on 
how much I liked them, um, you know, and that sort of thing. Maybe, maybe I'll throw all those up on Patreon or something. That'd be pretty funny. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Alphano was like b- fucking bottom of the list for so yeah. long. I fucking hated that stupid little dweeb so much. Uh, but then, like, as time went on, you know, it started just started climbing up. He started rising in the ranks, just little by little, by doing, you know, th- normal human things, like recognizing that he's a total shitbag to people for no reason, and how he's like a total Redditor, and whatever. And by the end of it, you know, him and Alice, Alice was always above him, to be perfectly honest, but... Uh, you know, don't go telling him that. Um, but they, they both are at the very top of my list at this point because they're just, they're, they're, their arc is great. It's, it's almost perfect. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely liked him more as a character because I thought he was really funny in how much of an asshole he was. And also because I do like, well, clearly he's not going to be this forever. Clearly, they're not going to just let this little fucker be one of the main protagonists of the game and act like this. And they do. They cut that in the bud fairly quickly. Um, he he causes some shit to go down very early on, which fucks him up. I, I really, truly think the thing that convinced me that Alpha No is good is Heaven's Word. Heaven's oh, yeah. Word is the Alpha No redemption arc. It is that that um, is that is the expansion where Alpha No went from like bottom of my list to like you know mid mid high tier on my list like that was like totally elevated him for me just the the fact that he like genuinely feels really bad and it's not like limited to one scene because there's a thing that i feel like happens so often with characters like this where they will just get like a scene or or just like a little little morsel where they like apologize or they feel really bad for like a bunch of shitty things they've done and and that's it and they just move on and it's basically never brought up again alphano's mistakes are brought up every freaking time he's on screen in heaven's word and it's still brought up in Endwalker in the post Endwalker patches, it's still being brought up the shit he did, you know, all the shit with the crystal braves and stuff that is still relevant to his character even now. And that's something I just never really see with characters like this, you know, even if they're given enough space to talk about the, their fuck ups, it's never permanently relevant to their characters. So that like that's really cool that it stays relevant. Alphano's journey of like he, here we see the beginning of him deciding like politics is the path forward for me. I will I will I will play the the big games. I will make the big moves with the important people, which leads to just catastrophe on every fucking scale because they let a fifteen year old run a goddamn private military corporation yeah seems like a bad move to be perfectly honest and to be fair several people could have stepped in and said we shouldn't do this um but they were just so charmed by that little genius boy he's like ah he can do it 
I'm sure you can do it. He's a he's a smart lad. Um, One of the adults really should have said something like, "Minfilia, you really dropped the ball on this one." They were all too busy doing what I don't remember, but they were all too busy. Um, But after that, this stuff with the fucking the camping trip and him and Astinian, and then like I mean, he's not in Stormblood that much. But I feel like the stuff where he is there, the stuff with Arnvald is very cute. Like the, there, are, there, are the, he is sl- he like shot up in Heaven's Word, and he like stayed right at the top for me in Shadowbringers. I think Shadow, you know, even though he is tied to one of the weakest parts of Shadowbringers, the Yulmore stuff, his character resolution, I feel, is good even though the stuff around it is a little bit on un- is a little bit wobbly compared to everything else in Shadowbringers. for sure for sure like he carries the yulmore stuff on his freaking shoulders and really brings it to like a resolution that feels like something when otherwise there was really no way that it would feel like anything um Really, the the only stumbling block I feel like that the twins hit after they both kind of become characters is um is post Stormblood. Um, okay, well, we like that one patch where it feels like they were reverted to their ARR selves. Yeah, that shit is so like Alphano spending like every possible second he can just being like um. Alice say, why don't you sit this one out? Let the let the big boys handle this. You know, like And then he buys a sword for five million dollars. And then he buys a sword for five million gil. Tataro wants to fucking carve him like a Christmas ham. Um and then he belly flops into the ocean. Yes. Uh God. Yeah, no. So other than that other than that particular hiccup, yeah. to be fair, nobody nobody no. escapes the post stormblood patches unscathed. It's a yeah. it's a freaking massacre. Anyone who gets absorbed in that orbit gets totally fucking thrashed. That's why it's so funny that Yashola and Thanker just like they just dip. exit those events very quickly. It's like, no, we're not we're not involved in this. Yeah, and to no. their massive benefit, they don't have to deal with any of that shit. But but yeah, other than that, um they're both awesome. Alice, I think like um she gets a little bit to do in Stormblood and like what she does yeah. have is like pretty nice but really, like, Shadowbringers is what just, like, rocketed her straight up to the number one spot, like, number one Scion for me. And that was, like, like all of the stuff with, um, all the stuff with, like, the, uh, the sick, um, dying people in, um, uh, oh, fuck, what was it? Um, I don't remember the place, but I know the rumor, her name, uh, the lady's name, Tessaline. Yeah, with Tessaline and her kid. And that whole that whole plot thread was really powerful. Was really moving. Um, it really cemented her as like this character who, like, before there were these like, like when Alice is kind of introduced, she's kind of got the like taint of like emotional woman character. You know that like writing trope that's really frustrating, but. Like, that arc uh, in Shatterbringers really, like, takes that, 
and rebuilds it into something that's way more interesting and way more like just powerful right like instead of just being like a like hysteric hot-headed woman instead she's just like a really passionate like caring person who like is completely uncompromising in like how much she wants to help people and that's like both her best quality but also most destructive quality um i mean i feel as though that is even established before stormblood with the gabu stuff like oh yeah that aspect of her character of like you have the we 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 talked about this episode how tempering is a death sentence that all this stuff like once you're tempered you can't go back alice is the one who refuses steadfastly to accept that it's like this is this is not how things have to be and gabu is a thing that starts her along that path of like i'm gonna figure out a way to fix this kid i'm gonna figure out how to save this kid yeah and and that's and that's the thing with her is she is like absolutely the most hard-headed person in the entire cast by an entire order of magnitude if she is determined uh on on a thing then she is going to do absolutely everything in her power to make sure it gets there like the gabu thing isn't resolved for a billion years because as far as anyone is concerned it is a completely incurable thing tempering is impossible to reverse nobody believes that she can actually find a cure for tempering like no not even the scions really believe that she can um but she fucking does and she ends up like basically pioneering an entire field of medicine um with obviously a help from uh, a little dog person but you know it's it's like a very huge moment and it's because she's the kind of person who absolutely refuses like on a basal level to give up on anybody and and that's like a really cool direction to have taken her character i think i think the the main the main separation between their characters that that is placed right here pretty well is alphano is someone who looks at the world and sees this is the way things are i will operate within this framework this is why he makes the crystal braves this is why he's he decides to be the politics guy um later he realized that this is not necessarily the case and a big part of that is because alice say is the person who looks at the world and says this can be better it doesn't have to look like this and i can do something about it yeah she's very 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 proactive right like alfano is this very like pragmatic guy he's very like he's he's very much like the the calculating type who like tries to connive out of a situation and like you know operate within something but but alice is just is super proactive she's like yeah i gotta i'm gonna fix this personally and uh and that's and and that's a cool difference between their two characters like it's it's a shame that we don't really get to see that contrast for like a billion years yeah, but I feel like the other thing about that is that it is not just a contrast and a point of friction. It is also the reason why they work so well together and complement each other so well. Because that 
those different ideals can like combine into into that into like the perfect medium the like the magic shit that like you have the passion you have the brains let's get shit done exactly exactly and it ends up it ends up making this really really perfect like duo that just plays off each other so well and you know it, it sets it up so well for endwalker um, because in Endwalker, you get a ton of time with them. In fact, you could you could argue that Endwalker is like the expansion of the twins, right? Like it's really the Scions expansion, but so much of it is dedicated to these two and just their their arc and and sort of their growth and how their growth has affected the world around them and the people in their lives and. It's like, it's it's just Man, so it, good. It's so good. Even if you can't say that the, I mean, I do agree that Endwalker is heavily like focused around them. In particular, the Garlemald section of Endwalker is like that is all them, pretty much. Like, oh yeah, that is one hundred percent because that the, the most the most fascinating, interesting thing about that section is that, but at this point in their character arcs, they are like committed to doing this thing to like giving aid to the this ruined country that was once like the prime imperial power that has now just been utterly ravaged by by like its own downfall and the, the the it is the perfect thing of like they come here to give aid and they encounter people who don't fucking want it and they have to figure out what to do about that and i i they garlemald is always the the section of endor i'm like they had there is no way this should have been as good as it was and yet it is my favorite section of the game and i think it is a very well considered look at this situation yeah it's like honestly it's it's a very powerful segment of the game and it it gets it gets a lot of flack and I understand why it does. Well, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa! I haven't heard that. I, listen, I don't, I don't look at what people say about things. <laughs> I don't need that shit. A lot of, a Lord, lot do of people, people hate the Garlemald. A section? lot of people really did not like the Garlemald section of Endwalker. There were a lot of people who felt like it was way too, like, forgiving towards the Garleans. But <sighs> I don't really under okay. I, 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 I guess I can see how someone can interpret that, but like Quint Quintus exists for a reason as a character. Yeah, it like there there is a there is a sympathy given to people like Hollis, who is like young, didn't want any of this shit. And, like, is just living in the ruins of, of a country he just tried to hold together. Quintus is the bitter old fuck who refuses to give up on uh, these ideals of failure. And gets and he tries to get a bunch of people killed for no reason. And guess what happens to him? Yeah, and he fucking shoots himself. It's the thing about Garlemald that I feel like people kind of overlook, right? Is that Garlemald is... And in Garlemald is a very thinly veiled criticism of the United States. Let's get that on the table. 
Okay. Wait, you're telling me you're telling me the city covered in concrete and cars and shit is supposed to be a stand-in for the United States? Yeah, so Garlemald is very much a stand-in for the United States. I mean, it's a stand-in for imperial powers, generally speaking, but especially in Endwalker, it kind of has this very obvious, like, rhetorical angle of, like, yeah, this is kind of like an America situation, and... You know, true to that kind of situation, um, the people living in, like, a completely bombed out, like, destroyed, ruined America probably aren't going to be super enthused about, you know, being delivered aid by people that they've been told are their enemies forever. So it's it's one of those things where... um, you know, saying, like, oh, you know, Garlemald was given, like, way too much, like, sympathy or whatever. It's like, mm, I don't know, like, it, it, it's, I don't feel like it's given that much sympathy, frankly. I It's it's one of those parts of the game that feels so much like it's, um, like, Garlemald is built up to be this, like, extremely aggressive, horrible imperial power that ruins the lives of everyone else. And then, like, internally, it's just, like, this, like, fairly normal society and has, like, you know, like, a fairly, like, conservative versus liberal kind of, like, political structure going on or whatever. It's, it's, it's not exactly sympathetic. It's just... The game is trying to also get across that, like, you know, the power structures of Empire are a little bit bigger than, like, individuals. So, like, you know, you have, like, your normal, average, everyday person living in, like, you know, Washington, D.C. isn't, like, personally responsible for bombing somebody's house, but, like you know, they are still part of this broader machine, and you know, it's it's just, it's political commentary. You know, there's there's like yeah. a reason that it's structured this way. It's like, it's kind of wild when people are like, oh, well, why were, why were everyone so nice to the Garleans, huh? It's like, it's the whole point is that, yeah, fascism will eat itself and collapse and what is left in the rubble but the people just trying to survive in the frozen wasteland after like everything is gone i that is so baffling to me because like i never really i never thought the point of that arc was the garlic empire wasn't so bad i thought the point of that arc was shit people need help yeah like the point of that arc is like you know in the ruins of collapsed empire do you offer like sympathy to people who aren't even necessarily responsible for your pain, but that you associate with, you know, you associate that pain with because of a flag, right? Like, that's kind of the point, is like, are you willing to set aside the connotations of a piece of cloth in order to help somebody who probably has nothing to do with the fact that you faced hardship? You know, it's that sort of... 80 percent of the message of the zone the other 20 percent is the fandaniel is fandaniel is kind of fucked up he's a bit of a joker remember when he remember when he put put his little butler outfit and he said he said he's so happy that his little boy found a play date yeah 
I remember. I remember. It's what a funny, what a funny motherfucker. I love that. God, guy. I can't wait to get to that shit. Uh, the Zeno, the Zeno's dinner date is the funniest shit in the whole universe. He's, that it's he's so just fucking eating. funny. He's literally, he's literally just eating like it's normal. It, that is that entire scene, which is is so fucking it's funny. Awesome. It is harrowing and disgusting, and then it's also the funniest shit in the world. Oh, yeah. Like, and again, that's the thing about Iron Walker is you get that, like, awesome, like, contrast of just, like, really harrowing, like, dire shit, and also the funniest dialogue that's been in the whole game. It's <laughs> kind of awesome, but we can't, we can't talk about Endwalker no, for three hours. Nice. We could... Yeah. But we're not going to do that. Good. We have to save it. We already it. did. <laughs> There's already a published bonus episode people can listen to where we pretty much did talk about Endwalker for three Yes, hours. Well, we're going to do that again someday. We'll, we'll get Much there. longer. Um, but yeah, so like, yeah, starting as a discussion on the twins, I, fuck people on Twitter who say that shit. Garlemald is a great part of that game. Uh, and the twins are an extremely huge part of why it's so great. One other thing, interesting that all of this stuff is happening, foreshadowing Thancred's possession um, of like this this whole thing about how him trying to like find some way to prove himself leads him to researching stuff about the Paragons on his own and fucking around and finding out. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Hilariously, uh, this ends up not changing his modus uh, very much, like the way he goes about things. Like, no. him going off on his own and investigating by himself is what gets him possessed. But later, he's that's still the main way he does things, is just, I'm going to go off on my own for a while and go investigate by myself. Um, it doesn't ever backfire on him again, so presumably he learned to be a little more stealthy, but, like, it's kind of hilarious that, like, he doesn't really learn from that mistake. I guess he just learned to not touch weird amulets. That's true. That's a good point. He never touches one of those again. That I mean, that, I would think that would be self-evident. But, you know, sometimes you see a shiny amulet and you go, ooh, what's that? That's true. I mean, you know, we've all been there. Uh, but, yeah, so that... I don't, I don't even remember. Is that how he gets possessed, or does La Habrea literally do a like possession? I I don't remember anything about the, their situation. I don't really remember. I do believe there is like an amulet or something involved. I'm pretty sure, but I don't remember that much about it. We'll we'll get there soon enough. That's actually not that far away. Even look, all I know is that La Habrea is a little fucking freak for possessing a live person. Yeah, he is a bit of a freak. What's wrong with you, bro? That's weird. It is weird. You're a weirdo. And everyone else thinks so too. All the other assassins are behind your back saying that guy's kind of weird. It's true. What's they up with they, that? they all think you're a weirdo, man. Even Nabriales is talking shit about you. <laughs> and nobody likes that guy. God. Oh boy. Well, that that'll be it for this time, I think. Um yeah, the twins, it'll be fascinating to kind of chart their course again, right? Like where they go right now we are we are we have so much redditor alpha no to go and he only gets oh worse. yeah he's gonna get it gets worse before it gets better it's darkest for the dawn and boy does it get a little bit dark for for our little white-haired boy here but uh but we'll find out all about that as we uh, continue our journey for now though uh i've been one of your hosts jane i've been your other host nero 
and we'll catch you next time on the fields of Eorzea.